from our gospel this morning, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good morning, friends. You know, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago or so, I made a decision to start lifting weights again. I did so back in my 20s. I really enjoyed it. And I've been doing cardio forever, right? Running and biking and that kind of stuff. But resistance training, I sort of let go. And I thought, you know what? I'm 53 years old. Uh, I got, if I don't do something, I'm just going to continue to wither away. So I just made the decision, I made the decision to get back into resistance training. And so what do you do when you decide to make a change? What's the very first thing you do? You Google it, right? How does a 53-year-old guy go back into weight training? And that's what I did. And of course, you discover all sorts of things that you need to do. And I'll you know, briefly here, you know, check your form. Make sure your form is good so you don't get injured. Go slow so you don't get injured. Get a trainer. Go slow so you don't get injured. <laughs> Watch your diet, lots of protein. Go slow so you don't get injured. And of course, I injured myself. I got a shoulder impingement. I had arthritis in there already, which I didn't know about until I made it worse, and I had to have that all ground out after Christmas break. But I'm back on the horse again, uh, lifting weights again. Just started last week. So uh, it's getting better, but it takes... Anyway, the point is not that. The point is not my personal health regimen by any stretch. But the thing I want to point out to you today is that any change in your life, whenever you go from where you are to where you want to be, listen... You have to make a change. Lifting weights, learning how to play golf, going to college or graduate school, becoming a better Christian. All of these things require discipline and patience, which I have very little of either, frankly. And the reason you have to have discipline and patience and someone to show you how to do it, that's important, is because we, like you and I, we all we struggle. We all, we all learn our lessons the hard way. Amen? I mean, we learn, we don't, we, there's no expression, you, you learn your lessons the hard way. We learn some of our lessons the hard way. I mean, you don't want to learn all of your lessons the hard way, unless you're Mike Tyson, right? Mike Tyson has got a knack for learning all of his lessons the hard way. The point I want you to see this morning on this first Sunday of Lent is that all growth in anything at all requires patience and suffering. Think of anything at all you've achieved in your life. And I don't take the even religious stuff out of it. Think about just regular things you do in your life. A career, raising kids, being married, at least being married to me. It's hard. And why is that so hard? Why is it? Why is life so challenging sometimes? Did you ever ask yourself that question? It's not supposed to be that way. We all know that, and that's actually true. Why are things so difficult sometimes? And while we're at it, is temptation and suffering as difficult as they are, as much as we want to avoid these things at all costs, can God actually use suffering for our good? We're going to look at this today in the first Sunday of Lent. We're going to start with the beginning. Actually, literally, start at the beginning. And three points this morning, which are important. If we're going to get into Lent and really do it right, we've got to start in the beginning. Three things this morning. What is the root cause of our temptation? 
is temptation and suffering useful? And then finally, how is Jesus our example of both of those things? So what is the root cause? What's the core root cause of our suffering and temptation? Is suffering useful? And finally, how is Jesus the example? So first thing, if we're going to know, if we're going to start with a new training regimen, you got to know your enemy. You got to know the cause of the things that stop you. The root cause of suffering and temptation is Satan. Hasatanas, it's a Greek word. And it doesn't mean, Satan is not his first name, like my first name is Christopher, right? Hasatanas is actually a title. And it actually means, if you don't know this, the adversary. Satan is the adversary. He's not God's adversary. God has no adversary. Satan is your adversary and mine. Think of it like this. The ad, and in fact, Father Jordan pointed out this morning, the ad, if you're in a court of law and you're on the stand, right, you're on trial, literally. The adversary is the prosecuting attorney. That's Satan. That's the one who is the source of all the temptation and suffering in your life and in mine. He's not God's adversary. That's important. He's yours. And we see this dynamic from the very beginning. Adam and Eve, the first two people who ever lived. They're in the Garden of Eden. This is a huge topic. We're going to just brush over it, but it's super important. They are created in the Garden of Eden, where they talk to God face to face. There's no suffering. There's no death. There's no evil. They don't even know what evil is. Everything is literally perfect. You know those t-shirts that I pick on sometimes? Life is good, right? You ever see those? Well, for Adam and Eve, they could wear the t-shirt and it would be true. <laughs> Life was actually good. And God says, Adam and Eve, you can have everything in the garden here. You can have anything you want, except for one thing. Listen to closely to what he says. It sounds like he's setting them up for a fall. It's not true. Listen to what he says. You can have every, all of it's yours, except for one thing. Don't eat the fruit, the result of the tree, listen, of the knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil. It's not just any tree. It's just one. And a tree is a biblical metaphor for an idea that, you know, a tree, you know a tree by its fruit, Jesus says, with regards to us. You know a tree by its fruit. Orange trees make oranges. Whatever, you get the idea. God says, do not touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here's the key to the whole text. Adam and Eve were blessedly naive. The way God created you and I you and I were created, just like they were, to be blessedly naive. They didn't know evil. They didn't know suffering. They didn't know anything about temptation. They didn't even wear clothes, for crying out loud. There's no shame at all, in a good way, in a blessed way, in a holy way. Little kids are kind of like this. They'll run around naked, totally shameless, because they're shameless. They didn't know evil. They didn't know suffering. And the reason is God was saying, look, stay away from it. I'm protecting you from it. And he says it to us too. Let me give you an example. You ever raised kids? <laughs> Anybody here ever raised children? Yeah. And you say, Johnny, don't touch the stove. And what do they do? They touch the stove. 
You warn your kids, why do you warn your children? You're not trying to just be a buzzkill. You're not trying to just be, ha, I gotcha. You're not doing that at all. You're actually telling them not to touch the stove because they don't know any better. They're naive. They don't know that keys don't go into electrical sockets. (laughs) They look like they should, right? You're right, it's right eye level with you and you're a toddler. You're crawling around. Oh, look at this. This, this, has got to be, this has got to be where this goes. You warn them. A parent warns his child, just like God warns Adam and Eve, and you and me, lest they bring hurt and injury upon themselves. God warned Adam and Eve. God warns us. And the question is, will we listen? And the reason I'm bringing this up is the cause of temptation. The root cause of all this temptation is Hasatana, Satan, the adversary. You know, David Berkowitz, remember him, the 44 caliber killer? He famously said the dog made him do it or the devil made him do it. Remember that? He was a liar. They found out he was lying about that. He wasn't psychotic at all. And in fact, the devil never makes you do anything. The devil can't force you to do anything. The devil is not God's enemy. It's yours enemy. The devil can't force you to do anything, but they can, and they do, put a bug in your ear. They can trick you into believing that God really doesn't mean what he said. That's what he says to Eve. It's the same temptation every single time with Adam, with Eve, and with you. God knows with me. Did God really say that? Did God really say you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage? You do love this woman after all, right? You're committed to her. God didn't really say that, or at least he didn't mean it for you. Did God really say that you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? Did God really say you should be patient when people are angry with you? Did God really say that you shouldn't, you should not love money? Did God really say fill in your favorite sin, friends, right here. His temptation, Satan's temptation, is always, he's he's a one-trick pony. He's got one trick. Did God really say? Because you know better, so do I. So did they. He had told them, just like God tells us in his word, the good and the bad, what we're to do and not to do. He warns us, don't put the key in the socket. Did God really say that? (laughs) See, friends, the temptation is always the same. Did you ever notice, maybe it's, well, I know it's not just me, at least one other person this happened to, uh, not the specific thing for me, but let me give you a story. Back at a former church that I worked in, uh, I had a friend of mine who said to me, you know, Father, did you ever notice that temptation always comes at the really worst time? Like, did you ever notice that things always happen to you exactly what, almost like somebody planned it, right? Almost like a being is right there waiting for the moment of weakness and then bam, gets you. He said, I want to share something with you. He said, uh, I have to tell you, Father. He said, when I come to church on Sunday, he said, I get the most obscene thoughts in my mind. He doesn't do it, didn't do it normally. He said, but when I come to church and I'm kneeling, I get the strangest obscene thoughts in my heart. And I said, well... Sam, not his real name, that's because Satan is trying to distract you. And after a while, you know, it's not hard to see. You can pick up on it after a while. If you spend any time in the Christian walk, you know it when it comes to you. I know it. 
I know when, when Satan is coming after me because he always hits me exactly in the weak spot, exactly when I'm not ready for it. Satan is clever. You are no match for him, by the way. You are no match for him, but God is. And God is smarter. Despite the source of temptation, Satan, your adversary, God can and do, God does use temptation for good. Let me show you. Second point, the usefulness of temptation. Is it useful? Yes. The gospel lesson leads us through Jesus' very own temptation. It's astounding to think that we worship a God who knows what it feels like to be tempted. We read that, but we don't know, if you didn't read the backstory, the text for today is Jesus has just been baptized. He's just been baptized. He comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends upon him, and we hear a voice. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then the very next verse is where we pick up today. Immediately, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted. No party, no reception, nothing. <laughs> He's baptized, comes out of the water, and that same Spirit that descended upon him pushes him into the wilderness. The Greek word is akbalo, and it means to be compelled, to be pushed, to be shoved. And the Greek word for temptation is the word parizo. And it means to be tested, to be tried. 1 Peter 1.6 says, You, and that's second person plural in Greek, y'all, have been grieved by various trials so that, tested, so that the tested greatness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through it, is tested by fire. See, temptation shows you what you're made of, which, quite frankly, isn't much. And it's usually not very good. Left on your own, most people think of resisting temptation as just uh, grinning and bit, right? Just buckling down, pulling up your bootstraps, right? It's the American way. Work harder. Friends, if you try to overcome temptation by a sheer act of your own will, you will fail. You are no match. You are no match for Satan. But see, what temptation shows us not what you're made of, here's the key, but what God is made of. Let me ask you a question. This is a real question. I want you to think about this. Where in your life are you tempted? There's some things which don't tempt you at all, right? I know people that have gambling problems. Maybe some of you have gambling problems. I don't. I lose money when I gamble. It's totally a waste of time for me. But where in your life are you tempted? You know, it's good to know it's good intel to realize where are in your, what are the things, the circumstances in your life which cause you to do the things that you later regret? Where are you tempted? Where is Satan able to nail you? Every time, right? Where in your life do you choose to go your own way rather than God's way? We never actually sit down and make a decision to do it. We just listen to that voice. Did God really say... You can justify it. You can rationalize it. You can say, it's just the way that I am. God made me this way. No. I want you rather to think about the things in your life. It is super helpful to know what the things are that God places in your life that tempt you. And do a deep dive. Why is that? You know, every year I go to the doctor. Well, not every year. I, every year I intend to go to the doctor and get, a, and get a physical every year and a blood draw. And they, they, they take the blood out, right? And they do, a, they do a panel. And they show you all the things you should be aware of, right? Cholesterol or whatever. Thankfully, mine's pretty good. But the reason you do all that, you see, is so that you can get ahead of it. You know what it is you're dealing with. 
Lent is the same way. Examine your heart. What are the things that tempt you? And notice something critically important here. It's not God that does the tempting. He allows it because it teaches you to trust him, but he doesn't actually do it. James 1, 13 says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I mean tempted, being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by, with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God's clever, man. He's smarter than the devil by a lot. The devil tries to knock you off your game, but God's smarter. He can actually use the weapons of the enemy to your benefit. God can use it. And again, it's always helpful to think about these things. It sounds very heady. Again, kids are a great example of how de the devil works, right? They're a great example of how Satan and, and, and God work, I think, anyway. As a parent, when you raise kids, what do you do? Well, at some point, you will, at some point, you will allow them to do things that you know may hurt them. Not because you hate them, but because you love them and you want them to grow. Things which they do, which they could get hurt. They could even get killed. But you let them do that to test them, to see if they've got to learn, to listen to what you've taught them all they're growing up. I mean, I can think of in my own, my own life, three times I've let my daughters go driving by themselves for the first time. Absolutely terrifying. <laughs> Mother of God, right? <laughs> But see, this is the thing. Love, whether it's God or you as a parent, I mean, it's the same idea. Love requires you to let them go. Not because you don't love them, but because you do. And that's precisely the point. God doesn't tempt anyone, but he does give you the free will to choose the good or not. It's your decision. Even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is tempted. Jesus knows what it feels like to be in your shoes. You say, that's not fair. If God really loved me, he'd prevent all this bad stuff from happening. Why me, Lord? Right? Okay, fine. We all, we all do it. The psalmist did it. Jesus himself said it from the cross. If you've ever said that before, you're in good company. But when God, when God allows temptation to happen to you, when God allows the enemy to come after you, he also protects you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to all people. God is faithful, listen, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you, but beyond what you can bear because by the temptation he will also provide for you a way of escape that you may endure. See, this is the thing. Temptation from, God allowing temptation is not God seeing if you've got what it takes. Come on, Johnny, can you do it? Can you do it? Oh, for, no. The whole point of God allowing temptation is that you can lean on him and realize you can't do it on your own. Did you notice something super cool? When Jesus is done with his temptation in the desert, at the very end of it, it says, and the angels came, look at it again, the angels after all of this rigmarole, 40 days without food, or without food in the desert, being tempted by Satan of the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? Jesus is a man, in addition to being God. He knows what it feels like, and it says at the very last line, and the angels came and were ministering to him. Not ministered, were ministering. It's a, it's a perfect tense. The angels all through Jesus' temptation are with him, behind him, ministering to him. And it's the same with you. The idea that temptation allows God to work on you in a continuous rebuilding of your spirit 
As the adversary comes at you, God is behind you. Father Jordan made the point this morning, yeah, the devil is the adversary, Hasatanas, but the Holy Spirit is the advocate, the defending attorney. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear with his help. And that's the key. Temptation and suffering are not just bashing through it on your own power, because you'll fail, so will I. It's an opportunity for you to learn to rely on God. I knew a man once, his name was not Dave, I'll call him Dave. Dave was a womanizer. He was sexually active before he was married. He was sexually active while he was married, which wouldn't be a big problem, but he was sexually active while he was married with a woman who wasn't his wife. <laughs> a little problematic. He knew what he was doing was wrong. He knew what he was doing was a sin against God and his wife and his kids and the whole thing. But he couldn't stop himself. He told me once, I didn't know him very well, but he knew I was going to seminaries. He would kind of confide in me. And he said, you know, I couldn't stop myself. I couldn't get out of it until I stopped trying. I couldn't stop it until I stopped trying. I couldn't stop it until I stopped trying and I leaned hard on God to give me the strength. Again, here's the question. Against what do you, you individually, wrestle? Sexual sin, super common. Love of money, pride, selfishness, lack of concern for others. Maybe you're insecure, jealous. That's pride too, by the way. Stop trying and lean on God. And he will. So we are tempted by Satan God can and will use these things for our own good. And then finally, we see Jesus as the example. Briefly, the writer to the Hebrews says this, which I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I find this to be terrifying. <laughs> the writer to the Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. Listen to this. Jesus Christ was tempted in every way as we are, yet did not sin. Every way. I want, to think of the th the thing, I want you to think of the things which tempt you, which you've never told anybody. Guess what? Jesus has been tempted by that too. Imagine that. Not only is Jesus tempted, he's been tempted as every, in every way that you are. Every way. He knows what it feels like. There is nothing which has tempted you that the Son of God has not also wrestled against. I find that hard to believe, frankly, but it's true. He gets you. Jesus understands what you're going through. He is a God who became a man, who lived like a man, so he could reconcile us to God. And he is a God who's not a spectator high on Mount Olympus. He's not Allah out disconnected from the universe. No, no. <laughs> this is a Savior who has walked in your shoes, who knows what it feels like, who cries from the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He's like your personal trainer who's been there and done that, who knows how you struggle, who's fought the good fight himself. He's finished the race, Jesus has. He's kept the faith. See, the real joy of Lent, as far as I can tell anyway, is not giving up bourbon. That's not the joy of Lent. <laughs> the real joy of Lent is not beating yourself over the head and feeling guilt. Guilt, unless it leads to a change in life, is completely useless. The real joy of Lent is realizing that you're pretty messed up, and so am I. The real joy of Lent is to realize that we are all sinners. We are all miserable offenders, and without Jesus, we're sunk. And the reason that's so important is it's liberating. 
It allows you to see not only the source of the problems in your life, but its solution, our Lord Jesus Christ. Because, friends, Jesus gave his life to save you. So this, this, this Lent, let me challenge you to do a deep dive on your own heart, on the things which tempt you, which draw you from God. Do a deep dive. You can run, but you can't hide. So do a deep dive on it. Repent and bring that brokenness to Jesus. You may fail again. You may fail again and again. Paul says, wretched man that I am, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I shouldn't do, I do. Paul says that. You will fail, but maybe not always. And the biggest thing is in the process of repenting to Jesus is you learn to put your strength not in you, but in him. And watch how he will change your life and free you from those burdens. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word, which encourages us and challenges us, Lord knows. Lord, help us to see the brokenness of our own lives, the sins which we commit habitually. Help us to do a deep dive and bring those to the cross so that you might free us from them. Help remind us of Jesus, who's always the example, and lean on his strength. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.